Hello and welcome to the official Ideas For Us podcast. Join us on a journey to discover solutions to Earth's most pressing environmental issues by learning from experts and professionals advancing our sustainable future. On today's episode, Ideas For Us Chief Operations Officer Lee Perry sits down with Gabby Milch, the Outreach and Education Coordinator of St. John Riverkeeper's Middle Basin, which covers Orange, Seminole, Volusia, and Lake Counties here in Florida. They discuss the looming and complex threat facing Florida's natural water supply, including all the different contributing factors, the terrifying reality of their consequences, and what actions we can take to solve it, including the Central Florida Water Initiative. Some of the points that Gabby makes during the course of this episode can be better understood with the accompanying visual aids by watching the video version of this podcast at our YouTube channel and Facebook pages, which you can find at the links in the show notes. You can email us at contact.ideasforus.org with your comments, feedback, and questions. Support this podcast and our environmental action projects by donating or becoming a member at ideasforus.org slash memberships. Thanks. Hope you enjoy the show. Good evening, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in. My name is Lee Perry, and I have the honor of highlighting my dear friend, Gabby Milch of the St. John's Riverkeeper today during our podcast and YouTube video. And um, we're going to be talking about something that's near and dear to my heart, which is water quality. And um, there's this amazing initiative called the Central Florida Water Initiative in 2020 that we are going to take a deep dive in. So first, I want to welcome Gabby Milch to talk about herself, why she cares about water, and her work with St. John's Riverkeeper before we dive into this initiative. So Gabby, tell us about yourself. Thank you, Lee. It's great to be involved here tonight. Um, I have been working in the Central Florida area for about 30 years on water issues. Um, I've worked in the past as a water conservation coordinator for the city of Ocoee. I've worked for the city of Maitland as their stormwater lakes manager, working on um, their 22 lakes out that they have in that wonderful city. And I've also worked for the St. John's River Water Management District in different capacities. I was a enforcement and compliance person and worked um, in their permitting uh, field in the 80s and 90s. And then I worked as a uh, volunteer coordinator for their watershed action volunteer program, uh, getting volunteers to do water quality monitoring, sampling, uh, doing education programs in the schools. So I've been doing outreach for a long time and I would hope that some of our water issues um, would be solved by now. And I know that we have had some good uh, improvements with our efficiency in our uh, irrigation systems and also in our in-home in water, uh, if, if getting water, uh, you know, in our homes, our washing machines and, the, and our inside use. And our toilets, of course, have been uh, use a lot less water as well. Um, and tonight I would like to talk about the Central Florida Water Initiative and it's been going on, um, it's a water planning process and we'll get into it a little bit later, but it's been going on for many years and uh, I uh, am following it this year for the Riverkeeper, uh, looking at um, 
some concerns we have about uh, water conservation and voluntary uh, enforcement of conservation in some of the utility areas. Um, also, uh, I have spent um, my career, I worked at Extension and I taught uh, Florida friendly landscaping to uh, a lot of folks with the Master Gardener program as well and been trying to um, get the right plant in the right place and do those nine principles of Florida friendly landscaping in which my favorite one of course was water conservation and then stormwater quality knowing about our non-point source pollution. Um, so if we look at, uh, this is a cross section of our aquifer, uh, of our underground system. And you can see here in Florida, we have our surface waters, which are definitely connected to our groundwater. And it's all one water. But unfortunately, um, in our regulatory programs, a lot of that water is looked at separately. Surface water quality and groundwater quality and quantity are looked at separately, and they really need to be brought together in the future for, um, for our water quality and uh, not having things like saltwater intrusion and overpumping occur and um, some of the water quality issues that cause some of our problems with our aquifer. So this is a map of the Central Florida Water Initiative area. And it actually is uh, three water management districts uh, have come together in the Central Florida area. They all had um, different regulatory programs that were similar. And the Central Florida Water Initiative has been uh, trying to bring in this in this uh, 2020 program, they're doing rulemaking to bring uh, some unification or unify the rules so that if you are doing permitting in one area, some of the evaluations and requirements for information will, will be the same as it is in South Florida Water Management District, which is the headwaters of the um, uh, Everglades and then uh, into the St. John's, which of course the St. John's River is, you can see it there on the east side of the map and it goes all the way from Brevard to Jacksonville. So we're just really in the middle basin of the St. John's River. Uh, so this is a pretty good map and you can see all those, those lakes there and we've got a big lake, Apopka, which is the fourth largest lake and Seminole County has uh, lake Jessup, which is the 11th largest lake in the state. So we have a lot of important waterways, the Wakaiva River and the Econ, and of course our St. John's River. So before all of this um, goes, goes into the reporting, they uh, did what is called a water supply impact study. And that uh, happened about almost 15 years ago, and they had a model uh, that they have developed and uh, working on that. And there was uh, a lot of, uh, of uh, unfortunate incidents that happened leading up to us having to do water supply planning. Um, you can see here uh, that the WISA, as they call it, um, was reviewed by the National Academy of Science and Engineering and peer reviewed process. And the basin is about 9,000 miles large 
and they did a study about 3,000 feet deep, and it has seven layers to it. Um, so it's called the East Central Florida Transient Model. So here you can see Geneva is a freshwater um, lens of water that's out in the Geneva area. And you can see here some of the water uh, uses, uh, how much each category uses or has, has been uh, allotted. So the Central Florida Water Initiative, 50 municipal governments um, are all trying to work with this, different utilities. Um, we have a very large population. One of our big water users, of course, is our turf grass irrigation, our landscapes for um, the public use. And we have over 1 billion, 64 million gallons a day of water that's used and over a million acres of wetlands 29 lakes and six springs. Um, and we have these things called uh, minimum flows and levels. And that's a scientific process that um, tries to determine how much water a water body needs to be healthy and successful during the different hydrologic times in Florida. And the St. John's River isn't the only river involved in the Central Florida Water Initiative, but the Peace River, the Kissimmee River, and those are all um, having some harm. So please go and check out the Central Florida Water Initiative.com. Um, so, what is a water supply plan? It's a, a lot of um, work is done uh, from scientists and engineers and hydrogeologists and uh, social scientists and uh, different uh, statistical people. Um, we look at how much water is potentially available in the region. And then we um, have the utilities look at growth and they project what they think they need, how much water they need. And our 20 year projection shows that we have more need than we have supply of our aquifer water, specifically um, in areas of our upper Floridan aquifer, and that we have some problems potentially with saltwater intrusion. Um, so all of the utilities have been assigned the task of coming up with alternative water supplies. Um, and these alternative water supplies are uh, things like creating reuse water, taking our wastewater, treating it to a certain level, and then sending it back to us for irrigation. Um, there's also some very large uh, reservoirs that have been um, designated as water supplies uh, that during high times, they'll take water off of the St. John's River. Uh, and then there's, of course, with river withdrawals and We'll get into those a little bit later, but they're projecting a 49% increase in population between now and uh, 2035 or 2040. So with the things that are going on in the community right now, I, I'm not sure that their plan, you know, their plans are going to be carried out, but we do have a lot of people moving to Central Florida right now. Um, also, uh, 
we have some issues with uh, over allocation of our groundwater. And so um, they're going to have to be asking the permittees to uh, cut back on some of their water uh, taking from the aquifer, from the surficial aquifer, the upper aquifer. So here's our um, population projections of right now, we're at about in 2015, we had 2.9 million people and we're projected to be up about 6 million uh, people in 2035. And our water use is projected to increase by 53%. And this just really is, is really hard because it's not sustainable um, if we continue on our same amount of water that we're using today in our 50% um, of our water that we have, uh, we use for irrigation on our aesthetically pleasing lawns and yards. And um, that's, that's a difficult number. So existing consumptive permits, you see here, we've got over a billion allocated and so we've got to come up with another 304 million gallons. And with these alternative water supplies and the river withdrawals, which are not, not good for the river, uh, potentially uh, have um, an, a amount that they can produce, uh, but they're not funded right now, a lot of these alternative water supplies. Um, so here you can see the surficial aquifer, the intermediate aquifer, and this is where the salt water intrusion comes, comes in uh, if we pull too much water out of the aquifer. Uh, so the projected water demands and needs are created by the utilities. And you can see the 24 projected, 2040 projected need is 855 million gallons a day. So that's billions of gallons of year. And uh, we have a safe yield limit that the districts or that the water management districts have been working on since probably 2006 of 760 million gallons a day. So uh, we're only going to be uh, requiring about 50 million gallons a day in conservation uh, and that would be a place where we could get a lot more water uh, conservation. And then the total amount of water that can be, that's permitted to pull off the St. John's River is 160 million gallons a day. And that water um, is, is uh, not all being pulled at this time. Uh, and there's different projects like in Seminole County where they're pulling water and they're supplementing uh, their uh, reuse systems with, with that water from the St. John's. Let's see. So the thing that I've always worried about, of course, is harm to our water resources. And you can see over in the uh, corner here, uh, that model is called an enviroscape. And I don't know, Lee, do you use those much in some of your workshops? I, I love this. I love this example, and, and I try my best to explain the many layers. So I'm, I'm really glad that you brought this up. So, so that's a really good model to use to get people to understand about water quality. 
and how um, you know everything we do on the surface of the land uh, when it rains it washes off and it you know brings it down to the closest stormwater pond which is usually connected to a river lake or stream and some of the issues is uh, with this harm is there's some acceptable harm and unacceptable harm and, and it's not real clear to me that we have good enforcement of trying to divert some of this harm. Um, some of this harm can be offset by what they call mitigation or creating prevention and recovery strategies. And there's only two permitted prevention and recovery strategies that have been accepted so far. So there's a lot of work that can be done. And uh, water conservation for utilities um, is, a is a difficult animal. Uh, the uh, fact that, you know, you sell the water and it's a, it's a, it's a money that's, uh, if you save water, uh, you're not using uh, conservation, you know, it's hard to ask people to, to stop watering their lawns. Um, there's a lot of programs, but we don't seem to reach big numbers. I kind of think like we might need commercials on TV, you know, <laughs> like kind of like we did in the old days about pollution and things, uh, but it's really hard to get people to conserve water. And one of the big problems right now uh, is our regulatory structure. Um, the water management districts, um, of course, have over allocated their permitting and um, it's, it's difficult. Not all the water management districts even have the right amount of governing board members on them. The governor, uh, even before COVID hadn't appointed new um, since he was put in, he hasn't appointed new water management district uh, governing board members. And the water conservation plans that the utilities submit are, are a lot of mo uh, voluntary and they self-report. And there's a lot of uh, ways to, to do conservation. Um, but 50% of our water, of course, comes from we use on our landscapes and it's a lot for aesthetic and like fleet farming, we would prefer to grow food with that water, I think would be a good one. So um, they've decided to recall some of these over allocations and the process that's going on with that is having to do with the Florida Department of Environmental Protection uh, is going to be adding um, some more rules to the regulatory process to um, help the water management districts with this. Um, so unsustainable use of the aquifer leads to declines in lake levels, um, spring flows, which is things we've all heard about in Blue Springs, which is not in the central Florida area, but they have a real big issue with manatees and uh, wintering for the manatees. And then of course, sinkholes uh, can open up. Um, let's see. So in their rulemaking, the Florida Department of Environmental Protection has um, tried to define harm for all three of the water management districts and unifying that definition. Uh, and that's, 
water quality impacts and has to do with uh, people who live next door to these uh, who have shallow wells and get their drinking water from shallow wells, private wells. Uh, Saltwater intrusion from over pumping is very hard to recover um, a water supply. There's a few places in Florida now that have had some issues. Uh, I believe Cedar Key has had saltwater intrusion into their uh, well fields and some well fields have to be moved and they have to do some planning um, to protect them. And natural systems are, are really in danger. And I feel like in, in Florida, you know, a lot of our charm in Florida is our natural systems. And that's why a lot of people come to Florida. So that water should be treated as water for people and water for nature doesn't really get the same um, uh, shared, you know, same share. Um, and that's one of the main reasons uh, that the water management districts were created in the first place was for flooding and for water quality protection. Um, and it sounds really good, but who are the actual people that are determining this harm? And then how are we going to offset this harm uh, that, that's gonna happen, which uh, could be the, as I said before, saltwater intrusion could have problems um, with people's shallow wells uh, and also the wetlands drying out and spring flows. So there's over a million wetlands, a million acres of wetlands in the Central Florida Water Initiative. And there was a team of folks that went out and put in some monitoring wells out there and have been looking at impacts from dewatering the wetlands. There's also a lot of permits that the water management district has issued with, uh, with conditions that they're supposed to monitor and send reports to help people understand, or, you know, to, to provide that there's no harm coming. And if there is, they, they need to uh, do something different. And of course, minimum flows and levels, which we talked about a little bit before. Gone over a lot. <laughs> Keep going, all right. <laughs> so I think that um, what has happened is we're downplaying a lot of this existing harm and unacceptable harm in the Central Florida area. And there should be some deeper conversations about it. Um, one, one case scenario is definitely Wakiva Springs. Um, is a really beloved area that I am uh, attached to and have been working to protect over the years. And there, um, this year when I was out on the river in the spring, um, the fish had, you know, the water levels were so low in some of the kayaking areas on the main stem of the river that the fish had smaller channels to go through and a lot of vegetation had grown up. And, once people are pumping and using water during dry spells on their landscapes, it's really hard to get people to reduce their irrigation um, and the complications with the HOAs, the homeowners associations, if, if you live in one and they have uh, requirements to keep your grass alive. So there's some areas in there that we could um, do some more 
work on for sure. Um, and it also ignores the downstream effects because you know the St. John's River is 310 miles long and we at, at Sanford we're at about 125 miles down from the headwaters and once it leaves us um, it gets up into the Palatka area after Lake George. And um, of course the salt water uh, comes in in Jacksonville. And so uh, they have some concerns, definitely have uh, impacts in that area that the salt water has been um, moving upstream of the river and they have um, a really bad algae bloom season that happens. Um, due to a lot of the pollutant loadings and nutrients. And we've been getting calls at the Riverkeeper, uh, people reporting algae blooms and having them go out to um, take a sample. And the FDEP has a uh, toxic blue-green algae uh, working group and they are meeting next week. But there's also, they sample the river uh, weekly and I get a report on that and you can kind of see uh, where some of the, the blooms have happened. And so if we continue to pull more water out and um, it doesn't, and it causes the harm, then it will, you know, cause additional negative downstream effects. And it costs a lot of money to um, work on cleaning up those, those problems. Um, so wetlands, especially wetlands adjacent to the rivers are really important along the St. John's River. And uh, those wetlands, you know, there's a fluctuation during the, the dry times and the wet times. And they kind of act as the kidneys of our, um, of our natural systems. And uh, we've had a lot of uh, wastewater treatment spills and problems with biosolids that have um, seeped into the water, water sources. And so here you can see the amount of money it costs and that's millions of tons. So that's uh, uh, tons of it. So the Riverkeeper does a yearly river report for the lower uh, part of the river where in from you know Jacksonville area. Um, and we haven't done one of those in the middle basin yet. Uh, there's an upper, Basin working group that that's uh, doing some work on that right now. And so this guy is pretty appropriate here. It, you know, prioritizing unsustainable water withdrawals out of the river um, where we could be using conservation and uh, reducing our irrigation um, by creating uh, better irrigation systems, more efficient, more targeted, less time uh, to water uh, could be very helpful. And it's just something to, to think about that's really important to our river and to our springs and lakes and uh, wetlands. So this is a lot of words, definitely, but the legislative directive, I just wanted to kind of bring up about the, our Florida legislature. Um, you know, this year we had several bills that went through and uh, some of them got uh, vetoed at the end, but one in particular was our water bill. I think it was 714 and, and that one, um, 
started off to be a really great bill, but unfortunately it um, isn't quite doing as, as much as could be done. Um, they figure there is a, a, a residential per capita water use. So that means, so everybody on you know, your block uses a certain amount of water a day and each person uses a different and they average that number of gallons. Uh, so when they did a lot of these permits, they averaged the population as uh, the per capita water use about 150 gallons per person per day. And um, the legislature did direct the water management districts to bring that number down to 100 gallons per person per day and uh, create an annual conservation goal. But the annual conservation goal and the reporting uh, is, is a lot of voluntary language in there and some of the utilities uh, may not participate like they haven't in the past. And one of the things that is kind of worrisome is the variance. So in 2025, they're taking this over allotment of water and they should uh, try to equalize that down and then they'll reevaluate and start this variance process. So if, if your utility is using um, its allotted water and you determine that your utility needs more water, then they can go through a variance process. So it's kind of counterintuitive. You, you would think that they wouldn't be able to ask for more water if we're kind of already in a deficit uh, situation. Now, a lot of the water allotments that the utilities have, they don't pump all of it, but some of them pump all of it and more. So when you average something, that, that's suspect to me, it's hard to, to understand that. So all of these uh, utilities that have uh, this issue are starting to have to work on recovery, recovery strategies, um, but there was supposed to be prevention strategies that were worked out before that. Um, also, um, we're going to be taking some special conditions that were written by uh, some of the DEP folks, and they're going to be putting those into the, um, the past permits and uh, that should helpful be hopeful and helpful that that they will follow those um, permit conditions. So uh, one of the the science aspects of it is is they believe that sea level rise and runoff from development could offset the effects of the water withdrawals from the river um, and so, so it wouldn't be a deficit, but there again, we'd be um, more salty water having to do more treatment. And this is for river withdrawals and um, our aquifer, which is connected of course, um, is, is, is having problems as well. So this is our water impact study it was done back in 2012. So hopefully they'll do some research on that uh, and update that over their next process. So 
The bad stuff is worsening our pollution problems, increasing our, our uh, aquifer, our toxic algae, reducing the flows, creating more salinity, and that will have impacts on our fish and wildlife and our plant life along the rivers and of our kidneys and the St. John's tributaries. And that will also happen in areas where uh, there are wetlands not connected to the St. John's, but in, in the different uh, locations like the Wakaiba and the Econ. So uh, we really do have to kind of tighten up and live within our water means and stricter regulations, uh, smarter uh, and regulations that are actually, you know, proactive perhaps, or have uh, actual penalties involved that are more than uh, a consent order. And we really don't have that much enforcement uh, of, of the rules. And this new rule that DEP, so far that I've been reading it, it doesn't have any recourse for enforcement of uh, any of the problems. So that's very troublesome. A lot of it, of course, water conservation is, you know, asking people, uh, everyday people to, you know, to understand we have a problem and that we have to live within our means, kind of like our bank account and uh, try to um, prepare as best we can. Uh, and then during drought times, realize that you may lose, you know, landscaping and things if we get into a tight pinch with our, uh, with our natural resources being harmed beyond them being able to recover. So St. John's Riverkeeper has a couple of things that we'd like to help ask you all to do would be um, ask the legislature, ask the FDEP, ask the water management districts um, to require water conservation that's enforceable and uh, water conservation plans from these utilities, whether they're private or public, um, and to protect our rivers, our springs, and uh, use uh, sustainable growth practices, low impact development, uh, try to reduce some of our hardscapes, uh, help with the loss of, um, you know, the creation of all that runoff and uh, be river friendly in your yard, you know, uh, take classes or have the people that do your landscaping uh, make sure that they're uh, trained and understand. So um, in the spirit of fairness, you know, we can all be stakeholders uh, and the next public hearing for the DEP is going to be August 12th and you can sign up for that online at 8.30 and you can uh, look on the website and I didn't put it up here, sorry. And you can uh, read, it's, it's pretty technical, uh, but you can make comments and uh, that'll go into this rulemaking session uh, uh, by August 27th, and then they'll process that. And um, these are some of the things you can ask for again, another list uh, and, and when you're writing your letters. Let's see, uh, oops, wrong. So one thing I've been doing positive, I've been having a lot of fun, is I've been doing the uh, River Friendly at Home series uh, over this COVID 
I usually do programs and classes for people and I've done rain barrel workshops and uh, how to build bee boxes and some native plant um, programs and things. So you can check us out at stjohnsriverkeeper.org. Uh, and we have a YouTube channel and you can see all the other information uh, about the toxic algae and our monitoring. And we have a river series of um, how to be sustainable and look at uh, what's going on with climate change and resiliency planning. So there's a lot going on. Um, and of course, our mission is to be an independent voice for the St. John's River and to protect and advocate for its project protection. Um, investigating pollution problems, there used to be, when I worked as enforcement and compliance for the Water Management District, we, we went out and did that. And they've, they've cut their staff quite a bit over the years. Um, and we want to advocate for policy change and, of course, uh, educate and make people aware and get out on the water as much as we can um, when, when we can. And this is my contact information here. If you have any questions, uh, I could talk to you about that. And so these are some of the terms I put together. It's kind of a mishmash here, but that's kind of how my head feels with all this information in it. <laughs> so, um, you know, it feels like our system is definitely broken. Um, it's been broken for a while, but I hopefully, you know, in the future, we'll, we'll, we'll get this together. Um, I just feel like freedom from punishment and impunities is not reasonable or beneficial to all of us. And um, having, you know, agencies self-report is really good when, when we're, when we trust and um, have, um, have trust in those agencies and harm. And, you know, there's a group of folks who, um, put in comments for the CFWI earlier on, a group of utilities who want to change the word of harm to just call it stress now. And, and that's very discouraging. So the accountability and uh, they're allowed to, you know, present reasonable assurances, but, but I'm not really sure that's kind of broad and vague to me. Um, so regulation is tough. You know, a lot of people would rather ask for forgiveness than ask for permission. And I think in the permitting process over the years, that, that has been very true uh, for the regulatory, for all aspects of water in Florida. And of course, over allocation is, and privatization is, um, is two things that I have concern because that's a worldwide problem. And Lee, you, you know a lot about that, the worldwide issues. And I don't think that we're that special in Central Florida or in Florida that we, we are uh, immune to uh, water shortages and problems with our clean water in the future. And I think we have those issues going on right now. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for sharing all of this incredible information and some of your personal feelings about how chaotic this could all be and how hard it is to di digest all of this information, but it still is extremely important, not just to you, but to the entire community to have to, to, to face this and have to, to have these conversations. Because at the end of the day, we cannot ignore this problem away, you know? And I, I just, I don't know if I'm just naive, but I always wonder why do 
policymakers sit knowing this information and still vote against certain bills that could help at least slowly combat some of these challenges. When their kids live in this state, their family members live in this state, they live in this state, they're drinking their water, they are using this water for their lawns. Why do they not care as much as us? And does money really bring that much joy in a person's life for them to turn a blind eye to all of the environmental harm and all of the public health issues that will surface because of these problems? Well, I, I think that there's also money to be made in making water use efficient too. So mm -hmm. I, we have, it is hopeful in, in that aspect. I mean, um, you guys are doing great things and other people are too. Um, it's just, it's, it's overwhelming. We're, you know, socially, economically, spiritually, you know, it's a really, really tough time. And, and this harm, you know, is a subtle kind of a harm that, um, that someone who, who experiences nature, I mean, there should be enough water for people and enough water for nature and that they, we, you know, we have to coexist. That's just, you know, the bottom, bottom line in, in my, in my theory, not enough money can, can, uh, can take away, you know, some of those experiences that you can have, you know, when you take your kids to the Springs or you, you know, you, you go on a trip to scuba dive, uh, you know, and, and different aspects of, you know, recreational water sports and recreation and, water, clean water, drinking water. That's what worries me a lot is the folks who have the shallow wells and septic tanks in a lot of these areas. And we can't seem to get that together either at this point. And, and I, I don't understand why, except for policy and, and the will of certain people, you know, groups of people. And I, I don't, I don't get it. Well, thank you so much. And, um, you know, if anybody has any other questions for Gabby, if you don't mind putting that title slide with your contact information back up so that people can connect with you. I just really appreciate your time. And, you know, in the world of COVID-19, I see a lot of overlap with water quality uh, issues and how we're actually treating this virus. You know, it almost seems like things have to continue to get so bad before people actually listen and actually do what they need to do to combat these crises. And that's really a shame, which is why we're trying to highlight, you know, voices like yours so that we don't have to wait for massive die-offs of ecological systems and endangered species and eventually for children and for animals and even domesticated animals to get sick from our water quality issues, we could do something today. We could transform our lawns today. We could conserve our water and use our shower water, uh, you know, to water our plants in our house or around our homes. You know, we could, we could find ways, you know, in our daily behavior to be more conservative with this very rare and very vital to our survival resource. So I just thank you so much, Gabby, for sharing. Well, 
Well, thank you for this opportunity. I seem kind of gloomy and doomy, but I, I just think that it's very important that we, we face these, um, these challenges because we do have solutions. We just have to choose to do things different. So it's important. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the official Ideas for Us podcast. Learn more about our environmental action projects by visiting ideasforus.org and stay in the loop by subscribing to our monthly newsletter. Support this podcast and our environmental action projects by donating or becoming an individual or CSR member today at ideasforus.org memberships. This episode has been made possible by all our valued members. Together, we are advancing environmental action worldwide. Please share this podcast with your friends and loved ones and leave us a five-star review if you enjoyed it. In the meantime, stay tuned to hear what amazing guests we'll be featuring in future episodes. We'll see you next time on the official Ideas For Us podcast.